Blog Talk Radio. The Four Persons, Inc. is a federally registered and licensed 501c3 charity. Any use of any of our content without our permission is prohibited by law. Our purpose is evangelization, education, and social action. Please go to our website at thefourpersons.com or our blog site at thefourpersons.net to make your tax-deductible donation by credit or debit card. You can also send a check to The Four Persons, Inc., P.O. Box 11214, Manassas, Virginia, 20113. To contact us, send us an email at email at thefourpersons.com. Welcome to the Saturday Burnt Toast and Coffee Show with apologist William Hemsworth on the Four Persons Network. William is passionate about teaching the faith. He is a convert that attended a Baptist seminary. He is a father and a catechist that will encourage you to live the faith, evangelize, and defend it. To call into the show, the number is 515-602-9655. Once again, the phone number to call into the show is 515-602-9655. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to the Burnt Toast and Coffee Show here on the Four Persons Network. I am William Hemsworth, and may I just say, it is great to be back. So last week, I woke up. I had a horrible cold Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I woke up with no voice, so I couldn't do the show. So I hope you enjoyed the interview I had with Steve Ray that was up last week. It's from uh, it's a audio that I did a while back. It's on my YouTube channel, The Bible Catholic. But today, friends, I wanted to start a series with you. But before I do, I just have to say, although I feel great, I still have this lingering cough. So if I cough here and there, forgive me. So I'm going to do the best I can today. And a couple other things. Tomorrow, um, my RCIC class, for those that don't know what RCIC means, it means Rite of Christian Initiation for Children. So a class begins. And right now I have about uh, nine children signed up to receive uh, baptism, uh, first reconciliation, and their first communion at the Easter Vigil. So I'm going to start teaching them the faith tomorrow. If you could pray for those amazing children who are choosing of their own free will to receive the sacraments, that would just be fantastic. Please pray for them. Oh, my friends, uh, today I want to talk about the Didache. Um, And a a couple weeks ago I said I was going to begin a series on it, and that day has come. So for those that don't know what the Didache is, um, I want to give some general information before we dive into the text okay so the Didache is one of the earliest collections of Christian writings and in some of the early codexes it was actually included with the scriptures with the New Testament Um, so after the New Testament the Didache stands as one of the more influential collections of early Christian teaching It, it really allows us 
um, it gives us a glimpse into the beginnings of Christianity. And the Greek word didache means teaching or the teaching. It's a, it's a shortened word of the full title. The full title of the work is the Lord's teaching through the 12 apostles to the nations. And so many scholars just refer to it as the teaching of the 12 apostles. The Didache, it's a collection of Christian writings that's mentioned by various writers in the early church. And like I said, it's often paired with the New Testament. For example, the Catholic Encyclopedia says this, quote, The Didache is mentioned by Eusebius after the books of Scripture. Let there be placed among the Spiria the writings of the Acts of Paul, what are called the teaching of the apostles, if this be thought fit, quote. Furthermore, St. Athanasius and Rufinus add the teaching of the apostles to the um, other deuterocanonical books. So it's very interesting. It's believed by scholars to have been written very early in the first century. Um, some say as early as 40 AD, others between 70 and 80, and some go to 90 and 100. But either way, it's the first century. It's the time when the apostles were still alive, still performing their ministry. And even if you go by the later dating, St. John was still alive. So that's a very important fact to realize there. Because if any of those great apostles disagreed with anything in the Didache, we would hear about it. But we don't hear anything about it. So very interesting there. Now, in a commentary on the Didache, which was published in 1894, Charles Houle um, explains some of the evidence that connects it to the early period of Christianity. This is what he writes. There exists, at a very remote period, most likely before the end of the first century, a work handed down by oral tradition, which was supposed to embody the verbal teaching of the first apostles. The expression itself, teaching of the apostles, occurs in Acts 2.42, and the use of the word for teaching or doctrines is common in the New Testament, so that it would be the natural title for a collection of sayings or precepts which have been handed down by tradition as representing the verbal teaching of the apostles. Now, we may suppose that this work, after existing for a time in a traditional form, was embodied in writing and used to form part of the earliest Christian books, end quote. Um, the contents of the Didache that focus on ritual instructions uh, regarding baptism, Holy Communion, uh, and fasting. It also contains um, spiritual exhortation on what's called the two ways, which is the way of life and the way of death. But more importantly, and this is why I'm doing this series, it's early evidence of those various of of all kinds of Catholic beliefs and teachings. And so it shows, it's a little snapshot, if you will, of what early Christians believed. Now, the thing is, it's, a, it's actually, it's not a very long book. So that it's a, this series will only take three, maybe four weeks. Um, so it's not very long, but I want to give a breakdown of the various sections. So the first section is called The Two Ways, and basically it talks about Christian theology, morality, and conduct. And so uh, catechumens, for example, were instructed in, in what the Didache taught before they were baptized. 
The second section deals with administration of the sacraments. Like I said, like baptism, uh, the Eucharist, and even um, anointing of the sick. The third section discusses relations among Christians. It offers instruction on different types of hospitality. It also gives insight into the hierarchy of the early church, um, which included bishops, deacons, and, and so forth. So we're going to be diving into some stuff that you're going to see is very Catholic. Now, I just want to say this. The last section, it's very brief, is on the end times. And this is important because the Didache was written before the book of Revelation. Uh, because the, the book of Revelation, as you may know, wasn't universally included in the canon until much later on. Um, like I said, it's a manual for Christian living. living. Even today, we can get so much out of this little book today um, because it includes easily understood pieces of wisdom, pieces of instruction. I mean, it, it's just a fantastic book. And, and to be honest, my friends, I didn't hear, when I was a Protestant, I never heard about the Didache until I took uh, some church history classes at Liberty University when I was in their seminary. And when you read the Didache, and when you read the Didache as a Protestant, you're going to see things that you're not familiar with. And so that begs the question, my friends, when I was searching for truth and I came across the church fathers and then I came across the Didache, what church is doing these things that are described in this short book? I just want to ask that question right off the bat. Now, the Didache was actually lost for a while. Um, around 1075, it was lost to history. But then in 1875, a, uh, a Greek Orthodox metropolitan rediscovered it in a library. Um, and, and thank God he had, so now we have these valuable pieces of wisdom and this glimpse into the early church. All right, so... Um, Chapter 1 of the Didache is called The Teaching of the Two Ways. And I'm just going to go verse by verse through this. Um, so I'm going to give the verse numbers. That way, if you want to look it up, you can. So chapter 1, verse 1 says this. There are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. Now, uh, we may look at this and be like, um, duh. Obviously, there's a great difference here. Now, understand the time in which the Didache is being written. All right? This is the first century. Philosophy was a big deal, and in my opinion, should be made a big deal again today because it teaches people how to think and how to reason. But um, – basic teaching. There's a right way to do things. There is a wrong way of do things. And so the teaching of the two ways has its roots in the Jewish tradition. Should come as no surprise to us Christians, especially as Catholics, because the first Catholics, the first Christians, 
were Jewish. And so the first apostles had Jewish backgrounds. So this should come up no surprise if this was the oral tradition that was handed down and eventually written down. All right. So parallels to this teaching of the two ways are found in a couple um, early church books that kind of developed independently from another. And if you haven't read these two books, I recommend you do. Uh, one of them is the Epistle of Barnabas. And another one is the Shepherd of Hermas. Now, the Shepherd of Hermas was actually included as part of the New Testament in some early codexes. Now, of course, as as the church, was moved, which was moved by the Holy Spirit, um, was deciding which books belonged, they, were, they, were, they weren't included in the canon. But really, there's some great things in there that we could learn about Christian living. Okay? So this teaching of the two ways reflected a common tradition in the early church. So if we put ourselves in the context of which the Didache was written, the first century, uh, Rome ruled the world, right? The known world for the most part. Um, Rome was conquering everything. There was no Lord but Caesar. So think about that. To say Jesus was Lord was to say that Caesar was not, and it was an act of treason. So, there's one way of life, there's one way of death. To choose Jesus Christ is to choose life. It's to choose eternal life with the Savior of the world who died for our sins on the cross. To choose Caesar, although our lives may be prolonged on earth, ultimately is going to lead to eternal damnation, which is our death. All right. Now, chapter 1, verse 2 says, the way of life is this. In verse 3, first of all, love God who made you. Verse 4. Secondly, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Does that sound familiar? Because that is actually the greatest commandment that Jesus gave. And we can look this up in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31. And give me one second as I pull these verses up. I'm going to read them to you. This is what Jesus says. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the way of life my friends, to love God above everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. Just like Jesus said, here they are echoed in the first catechism in church history. The greatest commandment that Christ gave is the first four verses of this book. Yes, it's passed on by oral tradition, which that oral tradition was also written in sacred scripture. So remember, we're not sola scriptura. We're not Protestants. Yes, Sola Scripture, I'm sorry, Sacred Scripture. We all need to read it. It is one of the foundations. The other foundation, Sacred Tradition. Here they are. Right, right next to each other, saying the same thing. So, the Didache is challenging us. Are we truly loving God? The way that we should. Are we truly loving God the way that we should, my friends? I know I look at my life 
and although I'm doing the best that I can, I'm doing the best I can by his grace. I could see ways that I need a lot of work. I could see times where I'm choosing to look at funny memes instead of maybe reading scripture or do an examination of conscience. I could self-reflect and say, have I loved my neighbor as myself? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. This little book challenges us to love God and to love our neighbor. It's challenging us to do what Jesus said to do. And I think in this world that we live in, if we do what Jesus tells us to do, we can make such a huge impact on our world, starting with our homes, our neighborhoods, our parishes, our cities. It's like that butterfly effect, you know? And just keeps going and going and going. But sometimes we get caught up in our own little worlds. And we're human. It happens. I'm not, by no means am I making excuses for it. But it's a call back to reality. Love God. Love your neighbor. All right. Chapter 1, verse 5 says, Do not do anything to another. You would not want to befall yourself. Now, remember Jesus says the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you want others to do unto you. You guys remember that? This is the negative statement of the golden rule. Do not do anything. Jesus says do unto. This says do not do anything. And this is, um, like I said, negative statement of the golden rule. It has its source in the Torah um, and even in non-Jewish sources. But my friends, what's interesting here, and I want to point this out, this is also a reference to the book of Tobit. Yes, that same Tobit that our Protestant friends say is not scripture. Tobit 14.5, I'm sorry, 4.15 says, That which you hate, do to no man. Do not do unto others that which angers when you do it. Um, so it's very interesting. So in our, in, in, in our scriptures, for example... It, the, the Catholic scripture. So let me, let me read the full verse of Tobit 4.15. It says, Never do to anyone else anything that you would not want someone to do to you. So it's very similar to what the Didache is saying here. So Jesus says the positive. The Didache is kind of reaffirming that negative, which we see in the book of Tobit, which our Protestant friends say is not scripture. But here is the oral tradition of the apostles in the Didache, mentioning it the way that the book of Tobit does. Very fascinating. All right. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 6. Now of these words, the doctrine is this. Verse 7. Bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. And fast for those who persecute you. Verse 8. For what thanks do you deserve? If you love them that you love, do not even the Gentiles do the same, but do love those who hate you, and you will not have an enemy. This is very, if you, if, if you say to yourself, this sounds like something from the Sermon on the Mount, 
you would be absolutely correct. So if we go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 46, let's see what Jesus says. But I say to you, this is what Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes a sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. This is fascinating. The Didache is echoing again the words of Christ. Bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. Fast for those who persecute you. There's a lot we can go over here. So I just want to ask, are we praying for our enemies? For those of you that are listening that dislike President Biden, are you praying for him? For those of you listening who dislike Pope Francis, are you praying for him? For those of you listening who have an issue with your parish priest, are you praying for him? For those of you listening who have an issue with a family member, are you praying for them? For those of you listening who have an issue with a former friend, are you praying for them? If we're not, we are not being true Christians. I just want to say that. That may sound harsh, but I'm giving it to you as it is. The Didache is telling us to pray for our enemies. It's echoing the words of Christ Jesus saying, pray for your enemies. It's easy to love those who love us. It is hard to love those we have issues with, who have harmed us. Verse 8 of the Didache says, do not even the Gentiles do the same. Jesus says, do not even the tax collectors do the same. I want to explain those two things. Gentiles, of course, are non-Jews. Tax collectors in the time of Christ, for the most part, were non-Jews. There is an exception with St. Matthew, who was a Levite, who was in the priestly class, who became a tax collector. But if one became a tax collector, they were just like Gentiles. They were unclean. They weren't welcome in the temple, etc. So if we're not loving those who pray for us, we are no different than... Anyone else out in the world? Some harsh words for us today. This is why I like the Didache so much. It's in your face. It's direct. It doesn't beat around the bush. It gets to the point. So the whole point of the Didache here seems to be that it's an imperative love, pray, and fast, not only for our personal reasons, but to demonstrate to others what kind of a person a Christian is. A Christian loves in the face of hate, in the face of fear, in the face of disagreement, all of that. And I'll speak for myself here, from just from what I see in social media, we need to be better at this. Because the world is watching. 
The world is watching, my friends. Verse 9. Didache 1.9. Abstain from fleshly and bodily lusts. Now, I want to compare this to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, which says, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. There's a big difference between love and lust. And I'm just going to speak from a guy's perspective here, ladies. Guys, we've all done this. We look at an attractive woman. And maybe we lust after her a little bit. But when we do that, we're seeing her as an object, as an object, and not as a person created in the image of God. When we love someone, it's the opposite. We see them as um, an equal that fulfills us. We see them as made in the image of God. We want to do no harm to them. We want to love them and cherish them. But when we see someone as an object, we're using them for our own selfish reasons. And that is to demean them, to mean, demean God. And it is a mortal sin and kills our soul. So if you're looking at pornography every day, that's what you're doing. If you're fantasizing over someone else, that's what you're doing. I was going to say, if you're masturbating, that's what you're doing. It's a war against the soul. Fleshly lust, war against the soul. The Didache is telling these new converts and us to abstain from that if we want to live. Remember, this is the way of life or the way of death. It's all or nothing. All right, verse 10. If any man give you a blow on your right cheek, turn the other to him also, and you will be flawless. If a man compel you, verse, verse 11 here, if a man compel you to go one mile with him, go two with him. 12. If a man take away your cloak, give him also your coat. 13. If a man takes away from you that which is his own, do not ask for it back, for you are unable to do that. And 14. Give to every man that asks of you, and do not, ask, do not ask for it back. Now, I mean, let's compare scripture here. Uh, we could see Jesus saying similar things. In Matthew 5, 39 through 42, and Luke uh, chapter 6, 29 and 30. Now, this doesn't mean we're to be pacifists or to just give our stuff away. But it's saying to be generous. Okay. To not be um, angry. Now, there's a difference between anger and righteous anger. There's a big difference in that. But if someone is angry with you, this is what this means. If a person is angry with you, pray for them and don't be angry back. Show them the love of Christ. And that's very hard for us to do. I'll be the first one to admit that. Part of the reason I'm doing this series is to get myself in check too. I'm not here to lecture anyone else. Everything I'm saying is also directed at me. All right, verse 15. For the Father desires that gifts be given to all from his bounties. Now, I want to be careful here. 
This is not talking about the heretical prosperity gospel that says if you believe in Jesus Christ and you're a Christian, that God is going to bless you with material wealth and you're not going to get sick and all that garbage. That's not at all what it says. But God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Our needs, not our wants. There's a big difference there. We may want a mansion, but maybe we'll get an apartment. We may want a Bugatti, but we'll get a Toyota Corolla. Or maybe enough money for a bus pass, whatever the case is. Verse 16, blessed is he that gives according to the commandment. 17, for he is guiltless. 18, woe to him that receives. And 19, for if a man in need receives, he is guiltless. 20, but he that has no need shall give satisfaction why and wherefore he received. And then 21, and being put in confinement, he shall be examined concerning the deeds that he has done. And he shall not come out of there until he has given back the last penny. So if we are blessed with those things, if we are blessed, we are to help each other out. Now, this isn't talking about socialism or anything else, but we should put help with the needs of the church, help with the needs of um, other members of our community, our Christian community, and may, or even our community at large. It's not to hoard, because hoarding those material things is to make them a god, and that's idolatry. The man who needs and receives isn't in guilt because he's the one that needs it. But those of us who have been given it, have been blessed with it, we have the obligation. We have the obligation to help out those that are less fortunate than us. Again, not talking about socialism. There's a big difference here. We're not talking about government distribution. We're talking about free will, Christians giving of their material wealth to those that are less fortunate, etc., or even to the parish so they can help those. Because, again, the Catholic Church, my friends, for those that don't know, is the largest charitable organization in the world. Okay? We perform more health care services, homeless care services, distribute more food, etc., more than any organization on the face of the earth. The church is actually very good at that. It takes that very seriously. But are we contributing to that? Or are we hoarding it? No, because, oh, I don't, I don't like my priest, so I'm not going to give to the parish. Oh, I don't like what Pope Francis said, so I'm not going to give to the church. Come on. We're kind of being selfish there, in my opinion. What's interesting is verse 21. I want to read it one more time. And being put in confinement, he shall be examined concerning the deeds that he has done. And he shall not come out from there until he has given back the last penny. Jesus said something similar at the end of Matthew chapter 5. And this is one of those verses that are in support of the Catholic Church teaching of purgatory. We're all going to be judged on what we've done. Again, there's going to be a general judgment and a particular judgment. Did you die in a state of grace? Okay. Then we get judged by our deeds. And maybe we still have this inclination, this sin inclination. Then we have to go to purgatory until we've paid back all of that. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't die for our sin. It doesn't, say, it doesn't mean that 
the what Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough. No, it's that Jesus loves us so much. He wants us in heaven with him because nothing unclean can enter the kingdom of heaven, which is what the book of Revelation says. And if we have a little dust on us, for example, still, even though we are saved when we die, we go and get cleaned up so we could be in the presence of God. We can see that beatific vision. Getting that cleaned up is paying back the last penny. Verse 22. Yeah, as touching this also, it is said in verse 23, let your alms sweat in your hands until you will have learned to whom to give. So we're not to give willy-nilly. We need to do some due, dil- some due diligence here. All right, just because an organization, for example, says they're Catholic, are they Catholic? Or are they set of the Cantists? Now, I'm just going to say this. This may be controversial to some. Set of the Cantists are just Protestants who follow Catholic traditions. We need to do our due diligence in whom we give. We need to do some research. Because maybe maybe we're um, providing for some kind of evil and maybe not realize it. Okay? Maybe we're donating money to an organization that says they're Catholic but is pro-choice. Looking at you, Catholics for Choice. To do that is to support evil. It's to support the murder of abortion. So this first chapter of the Didache is telling us here, be diligent, pray for those, pray for your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. It's telling us how to live a Christian life in the world. And there's only two choices, the way of life, the way of death, the way of life is to follow Christ and the church that he established. The way of death is to be selfish, be angry, do what you want to do, do what the world tells you to do. To be Christian is to be countercultural. So my friends, that concludes chapter one of the Didache. Next week, we'll dive into chapter two, which continues the teaching of the two ways. All of that was the first commandment of the teaching. And it took us about uh, 35 minutes or so. There's a lot that we can gather from the verses that we talked about today. So I'm going to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you this week. Is there someone out there that you're holding a grudge against? I want you to pray for that person. I want you to pray for that person. I want you to pray for the strength to forgive them. And I want you to pray for the strength to contact them, to tell you that you forgive them, to tell them that you forgive them. Now, you may not be able to do that this week, but you can certainly start praying about it. Let's start living. This whole first chapter, the Didache is telling us exactly what Jesus said pretty much in Matthew chapter 5, how to live the Beatitudes. That's how to live the Christian life. 
the way of life, not the way of death. All right, my friends. God bless you. Next week, we'll dive into chapter two. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.